The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 6, Of the Fall of Man, of Sin, and of the Punishment Thereof, Paragraphs 1 and 2. Our first parents, being seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan, sinned in eating the forbidden fruit. This their sin, God was pleased according to his wise and holy counsel to permit having purposed to order it to his own glory. Paragraph 2 By this sin they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. As you listen to today's podcast, you might be able to say that once upon a time you were in your prime, There was once a stage in your life where you could dig in your garden all day long and wake up the next day and not feel a single ache or pain. But unfortunately for most of us, that is not the case anymore. We know what it is in our bodies to be weaker, to be sore, to not be able to do the things that we used to do. Perhaps once upon a time, you knew exactly where your pelvic compass was, but today you haven't found it in about 27 years. If things are bad for you and I physically today, if we have fallen today from where we used to be, then today's episode shows us that there was a greater fall. Chapter 6 of the Westminster Confession speaks of that fall, the fall of man from a position that we once used to inhabit. In the beginning, God made everything, including humanity. He made us male and female, and everything in the beginning was good. There was no sin in the beginning. There was no rebellion. The Lord walked with humanity, and humanity walked with the Lord. And we were under what is called the covenant of works. This covenant promised this ongoing eternal relationship with the Lord on the basis of our obedience. We had the ability to keep this covenant. We had the ability to please God. We were in an exalted and lofty position and everything was good. However, it was from this lofty position that we fell. Chapter 6, paragraph 1 begins by saying, Our first parents, being seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan, sinned in eating the forbidden fruit. The Lord had commanded us not to do this. He had made it clear that this was his standard and we were to obey. However, we were seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan. 
our first parents sinned, rebelled against God. They shook their fist at him and essentially told him that he was not needed or wanted. They were like God and they would live exactly as they had pleased. We see this fall right in the beginning of God's word in the book of Genesis. And when the Lord said to the woman in Genesis 3 and verse 13, What is this that you have done? She simply said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This paragraph tells us exactly that. Our first parents were seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan. Paul writes something similar in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. He says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The serpent deceived Eve. She sinned first. She rebelled against God and gave it to her husband who also rebelled against God. We call this the fall of man. This is the most tragic moment in all of human history. For by this moment, everything was changed utterly. When speaking about the Easter Rising in 1916, the poet W.B. Yeats once wrote, All changed, changed utterly. A terrible beauty is born. Whilst something similar could be said about the fall, all was changed, all changed utterly. There was no beauty born in the fall. Simply sin and tragedy and rebellion and bitterness and death. I think it is important to note here that whilst the confession makes it clear that our first parents were seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan, they rebelled against God because they wanted to. There was no room for them to say, the devil made me do it. They had the capabilities to honour God and to keep his commandments, to maintain this relationship, to obey the covenant of works. They refused this. They themselves chose to sin. Whilst they were seduced by Satan, they took off the fruit themselves and ate. However, it is this moment that I want to say a word about Satan. The scriptures are not full of information about his origins or about the angelic rebellion which took place before the fall of man, but we do see glimpses of it here and there in God's word. And today I want to simply read some verses for you from Ezekiel chapter 28, which tell us a little bit about Satan and where his own sin and rebellion came from. In Ezekiel 28 and verse 17, we read about Satan. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I, says God, cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. In this little glimpse of the origins of Satan, we see that there was a heavenly rebellion. Satan became proud because of his beauty. The Lord says, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. But this perfection of wisdom and beauty caused Satan to sin. He was an anointed guardian cherub. And the Lord placed you on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire is where Satan walked. He was blameless, says verse 15, in all his ways from the day he was created until unrighteousness was found in him. There's much mystery here about Satan and about his origins. 
But these verses, I think, are clear. It was pride in his beauty, pride in his lofty position that caused Satan to sin against God, and many angels fell along with him. This angelic rebellion took place at some point before the fall of humanity. But it was this fallen angel, Satan, who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. This opening paragraph in chapter 6 closes by underlining again the plain teaching of chapter 5. This their sin, say the Westminster divines, God was pleased according to his wise and holy counsel to permit, having purposed to order it to his own glory. I won't spend time repeating the teaching of chapter 5 today. I would urge you to return to those episodes and listen again. But once more, the Westminster Confession teaches a difficult truth. That whilst God was not pleased with our sin, whilst God hates sin, he was pleased according to his wise and holy counsel to permit our sin, to permit the fall of humanity to permit the fall of Satan, and all of it was purposed and ordered to his own glory. Many nights are spent wondering over these things. Many days are spent in debate, and many books have been written about these very issues. I suspect each one of us could wrestle with these things until the day we die and never be fully able to grasp them. But there is a great comfort in here, And that is that even in the mystery of the fall, even in the mystery of God permitting the fall, it has been purposed and ordered to his own glory. This tells us once more that God is sovereign over evil. This tells us that even in those dark days in the garden, when humanity fell flat on its face from its lofty position, that God was sovereign. And this tells us that even today in 2019, if we quake at the news, if we worry at the thought of nuclear war or apocalypse on the horizon, God is absolutely in control and sovereign over evil. Even in the beginning, it has been permitted and purposed and ordered all for the glory of God. As we wonder about this truth, as perhaps we struggle over this truth. I pray too we will thank God that it is a truth that sin did not enter in and put God on the back foot. It did not surprise him. He has not been responding to it ever since, trying to regain the upper hand. The Lord God Almighty is king and sovereign over all. Whilst there is some encouragement in this passage, Unfortunately, paragraph 2 shows us the consequences of the fall. It begins by saying, By this sin, by this fall, they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God. Much was lost when we fell. We should never just rub our hands together and say, Well, the Lord permitted it, so everything must be okay. Everything was changed and changed utterly. By this original sin, we lost our original righteousness and communion with God. And we see this echoed in Genesis 3 verses 6 to 8. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. This is an image of which many paintings have been painted, but it is an utterly tragic image. As Eve was taking the fruit and eating it and giving it to her husband, humanity was falling from their state of original righteousness. At this stage, they were without sin. They were righteous in God's sight. They were under the covenant of works and would have walked for eternity with him under the terms of that covenant for as long as they obeyed. But in this act of rebellion, in this act of disobedience, sinful humanity lost their original righteousness. No longer were they righteous in God's sight. And we see the consequences of that. Immediately they are aware of their nakedness and they strive to somehow clothe themselves. They lose their righteousness and seek to cover it up by their own works. But it doesn't work. We see them humiliatingly hiding from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. We fall from a place where we have communion with God. He walks with us and we with him in Eden. And suddenly here are our first parents hiding away from God's sight. This is a tragic tale, an utterly awful tale. Sinful rebellion has resulted in the loss of our original righteousness and communion with God. Paul says this in Romans 3 and verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as paragraph 2 continues, the story gets worse. We are told that we became dead in sin. Chad Van Dixhorn puts it this way. We are not merely weakened, weary or sick. This is a cancer we cannot cure, a walking death, a plight from which we cannot help ourselves. It is spiritual death and it is more. Friends, today the consequences of the fall are that we have lost our original righteousness and communion with God, but also that we are dead in sin. The Lord warned us in Genesis 2 and verse 17. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, says the Lord, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Death was something that was not part of God's creation. Death entered in as a result of sin. We see that in Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. As a consequence of sin, we are dead spiritually And one day we will die physically. If you ever wonder why your best friend doesn't seem to get the gospel. If you've ever wondered why when you make your best efforts to share the gospel, preaching and proclaiming Christ and him crucified, and yet no one seems to get it. No one responds. No one seems to want to be bothered. In fact, some people might even be angry with you for sharing the gospel. And you think, why is this? My friends, it is because as a consequence of the fall, every single human being is dead in sin. 
We need to be made alive by God's Holy Spirit to receive the gospel. But until that day comes, we are dead in sin. We do not want God. We despise the things of God. We hate his word. We do not want to hear of the cross. And this is as a result of the fall, spiritual death, but also physical death. Every single funeral that you have been at should make you feel incredibly uncomfortable. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26 that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death was not part of God's creation order. Death is the enemy. Death has entered in as a result of sin. And so when you sit at a funeral, when you weep at the grave of a loved one, when you hear the bad news of some illness that has blighted a friend or a neighbour, all of this comes as a result of sin. And from the moment that you were born, the clock ticks down on your life until the day that you die. A consequence of the fall is both spiritual and physical death. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This sums up the consequence of the fall. We were, by nature, children of wrath. Thanks be to God for the gospel, for it is the good news of Jesus Christ which tells us that he died for children of wrath such as us. The Holy Spirit comes and makes us alive in Christ. He enables us to believe the gospel, to put our faith in Jesus. And children of wrath every single day are having their eyes opened by the preaching of the gospel, by the work of the Holy Spirit, and are moving from death to life. My friends, if you listen to this podcast today and know that you are dead in sin, you know your awful condition then I would urge you to trust Christ and live. Spiritual and physical death have entered in as a consequence of the fall so that we have become dead in sin. And sin spreads to every part of the body and soul. And that is the statement with which this paragraph closes today. We are wholly defiled, says the confession, in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. This sentence tells us that we are totally depraved. There is not one part of us that is pure and holy and righteous. Sometimes you hear someone incredibly well-meaning telling you to follow your heart. My friends, if you ever hear someone urging you to do that again, run the other way. Don't follow your heart. Your heart cannot be trusted. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 we read, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And it's not just the heart. You might think that you are an incredibly intelligent person. You spend days thinking things through. Uh, You will reason and ponder and use logic to figure out the next path. But your mind is being corrupted by sin. Following your heart, following your mind, these are not paths 
where solid ground is under your feet. Every single one of us is wholly defiled. Every single one of us is totally depraved. It doesn't mean that we are as bad as we possibly can be. By God's grace, he restrains evil in us and indeed in this world. Today, most of us will not go out and be as sinful as we can. Most of us in life will not murder our neighbour. We will not commit adultery. We will not be like a Hitler and wage a war which sees millions of people dead and a genocide of Jewish people exercised. We are not as bad as we could be by God's grace, but we are wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. My friends, this is a sombre truth to realise, but it is one that helps us in our everyday interactions. Often as we look in the mirror, we like to think that we are righteous and we are walking a good and upright path. But my motives are always going to be corrupted by sin. My thoughts are always going to be impure. My friends, you can trust the Lord, you can trust his word, but you are not perfect this side of glory. Yes, we are being sanctified. Yes, we are being made to look more and more like Christ. But that work is not yet done. We are wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. We see that again, don't we, in God's word. In Genesis 6 and verse 5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Nothing has changed. Humanity is still totally depraved. In Titus 1 and verse 15, Paul says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And Romans 3 verse 10 onwards, Paul says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I once heard that Freemasonry exists to make good men better, and it is unsurprisingly wrong in this instance. There are no good men to be made better. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have turned aside from the Lord. No one seeks him, not one. All have turned aside, become worthless. No one does good, not a single one. It is this that sums up what the Westminster Divines are trying to say here, that we are wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. We are totally depraved. Today, this world is full of totally depraved individuals. It is as a result of the fall. And today, every time you hear of some awful situation on this earth, every time you hear of some tragedy occurring, it all stems back to that moment where our first parents were seduced by the devil. And they, of their own will, took of the fruit and ate. But again, my friends, thanks be to God. Because whilst I am sharing this with you as a Christian man, and I know that I am not yet the finished article, I know that I am still a man who falls into sin all the time, the blood of Christ washes away my every sin. And God, the Holy Spirit, every single day, 
enables me to do battle with the old man. Every single day, by God's grace, I am becoming more and more like Jesus. I may not always see the progress in my sanctification, but I can be sure that it is happening. And the one who began the work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. These paragraphs in this chapter stop us in our tracks. They show us that we haven't just fallen a little bit, but we have fallen completely. All changed, changed utterly. But as we read these paragraphs and see our utter inability to do anything about the fall, thankfully we can look onto the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life on our behalf, who obeyed God completely and utterly, who kept the covenant of works where we had torn it up by our rebellion. And the day that Jesus was crushed at Calvary was a day where the fall was put right. Friends, today we rejoice because once we were off Adam and dead in sin, but today God has made us alive in Christ. Here are some questions for you. Question one. What covenant did our first parents find themselves under? And were they able to keep this covenant? Question two. Is it true to say that it was all Satan's fault? Question three. What do we know about Satan's own fall? Question four. Why can we be encouraged by God permitting the fall? Question five, what did we lose in the fall? Question six, what does it mean to be dead in sin? And question seven, why is it never a good idea to follow your heart? Friends, as we close today, you have just listened to the 21st episode of this podcast By God's grace, we are on our way to episode 25 of probably about 798 different episodes. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, But to celebrate episode 25 when it comes, uh, we want to have a little competition. Uh, We are going to give away a brand new copy of Chad Van Dixhorn's book on the Westminster Confession of Faith and also his wife, Emily Van Dixhorn's little study guide on her husband's work. The book is called Confessing the Faith and is a wonderful book and an incredibly helpful book on our Westminster Confession. The winner of this book will be announced at episode 25 and all you have to do to be in with a shout of winning the book uh, is to advertise our little podcast either on Twitter or on Facebook. Just fire out a little tweet letting everybody know about our podcast and why you enjoy listening to it. Tag us in so that we know you've done it. And God willing, by episode 25, we will randomly select someone from somewhere uh, who has given our little podcast here two thumbs up. We really do appreciate you listening. We truly, truly hope that it is helpful and worthwhile. We certainly know that we don't cover everything in the depth that it could and should be covered, but we hope that this podcast is a an introduction to the Reformed faith and to this wonderful document that we love called the Westminster Confession. Uh, so if you are benefiting 
uh, and if it has been a help to you, then we would encourage you to spread the word, share the word, Twitter, Facebook, let us know you've done it, and perhaps in episode 25, you will have won a copy of Chad and Emily Van Dixhorn's work, Confessing the Faith. But until then, as always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess. <laughs> <laughs>